I'm fortunate to have friends and acquaintances who are culturally diverse and diverse in their belief systems. Some of them are Christian, others are atheists or agnostic. Some of them are into yoga or other Eastern traditions such as Buddhism, and others are into African indigenous traditions such as Yoruba. Out of all these different religious and spiritual practices that my friends and family have, I am most challenged by those who are Christian and those who practice African spirituality. I am challenged by some of the Christians that I know because the motivation of their faith is not always necessarily grounded in love, but rather rooted in fear. Fear of hell, fear of change, fear of living life, and even fear of God. Which makes me ask the question, is Christianity simply a form of social conditioning that keeps us bound to fear? On the other hand, I have friends who are learning to honor their African roots through practices such as ancestor worship and other rituals. And I'm challenged by them because they ask me, how is it that I can seek ordination in the white man's religion? I'd be lying if I said that this question no longer bothers me. It's not like the church has the best history when it comes to people of color. Unfortunately, though, I have learned that whether it's an Episcopal church, a Baptist church, a white church, or a black church, a Hindu ashram, or a Buddhist temple, there's always going to be issues when it comes to institutions because institutions are made up of people and people inevitably have their own issues. Which brings us to today's scripture reading from the book of Acts. There's a particular verse, uh, verse 13, that caught my attention. It says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Peter and John are relating to the people based on their spiritual lineage through the, the forefathers that they had. And I thought about that, the God of our fathers, and I dwelled on this verse thinking about my own family. My mother's from the Philippines and my father's from Haiti. Both of them are Christian, and their, my grandparents, their parents, were also uh, Christian, predominantly Catholic. However, if I continue to go further and further back down the family tree, at least on my father's side, I would go back to Africa and recognize that they were taken from their motherland to Hispaniola, which was later renamed Haiti. And if I go back down the lineage of my mother's family, Inevitably, I would go back to an island in Asia, which was taken over by the Spaniards and renamed the Philippines under the, name, uh, under the ruler at that time, which was King Philip II of Spain. And then that begs the question, well, can I still say that the God of my forefathers are the same, is the same God as my father's father? Of course, that's a trick question in a way, and it's kind of obsolete because asking if God is big enough to transcend our cultures and religions is like asking if the universe is big enough to have the earth fit inside of it. God is much bigger than we can comprehend, and I believe that God is so big that we often miss God and replace God with our concepts, with our religions, with our rituals and traditions, and make that God which is in essence what has happened in this story. It's just another day at the temple. Each day there was a crippled man that was begging near the gate, which was called beautiful. 
And Peter and John come along and they shake things up. They heal the crippled man and all the crowd is astonished. They're astonished at Peter and John who quickly point out that it's in the name of Jesus, not their own strength in which they were able to heal this man. And it was the same Jesus that the people crucified. And why did the people crucify Jesus? It was a number of reasons, but perhaps the main reason is because they were unable to comprehend how God could be embodied in this man from Nazareth. One of the things that have crippled the church is its gross relationship with the idolatry of capitalism and racism veiled under the cloak of nationalism. As it says in the book of Psalm chapter 4, how long will we worship dumb idols and run after false gods? The church for centuries could not identify black and brown people as children of God. It just didn't compute to them as them being anything but inferior to people who were white. And that, in essence, was what spawned black people and people of color to create their own churches, which is why church is so divided to this day. And what should have been self-evident to the church, instead, much like the crippled beggar, who helplessly laid before the temple, we were blind to the ideological concepts that were embedded right beside the church which called itself beautiful. And when I say we, I really mean those in a position of power, not listening to those who were on the margins. Peter, the same Peter who denied Christ, is now preaching that the miracle being performed is in the name of the same God who they murdered. Could it be that one of the reasons churches are dying is because it has failed to see or recognize the ways of God? And when we fail to see or recognize the ways of God, it's only a matter of time before we, in essence, kill the God in the institutions that we keep. The latest Gallup poll shows that church membership is now at 47%, which is the lowest it's been since the turn of the century. And while COVID definitely has something to do with this, it's not the primary factor. Church membership, at least in mainline Protestant churches and Catholic churches, has been on the decline for the past several decades. And now even more evangelical churches, since Trumpism has caused a rift, are also seeing a bit of a decline. And now we have a generation of adults who are further and further away from Christianity. However, we should be clear to note that just because somebody's far from Christianity does not necessarily mean they are far from God. I have learned to be very cautious when it comes to determining who does and does not know God. It was the Europeans during colonialization that assumed people of color who had their own indigenous practices did not know God. And in the words that you may have heard from Desmond Tutu, he says, when the missionaries came to Africa, they had the Bible and we had the land. They said, let us pray. We closed our eyes. And when we opened our eyes, they had the land and we had the Bibles. I do not pretend to know the will of God. After this past year of having to social distance and not being able to go inside of churches, I honestly don't think anybody knows the will of God. 
Yet I can't help but think that if churches go back to business as usual, especially now that things are starting to reopen, and we just conduct things the same way that we've always conducted things, then perhaps we didn't learn anything from this past year. This brings me to uh, a story that I want to share of what happened this past Friday. It was a beautiful Friday, if you guys recall, and I was on my way to spend time in nature and decided I'd get my smoothie from Tropical Smoothie. (laughs) And on my way to get my smoothie, I see this guy outside, homeless guy, asking for money. And I was doing my best to avoid eye contact, and I think it worked. So I go inside, get my smoothie, and on my way out, I hear, Brother, can you spare me some change? I was kind of in a rush. You know, I I just wanted to get in nature and have my smoothie. No, I can't spare change. I only have a card, which was true. I only have, I don't carry cash. I only had a card. And he says, oh, that's what everybody says. You know, there's an ATM right there. I don't understand people. I was, I was shocked. <laughs> this guy's getting upset at me because I didn't have money to give him. And then he suggests in a very frustrated tone that I go to the ATM and give him my money. Nevertheless, I'm hearing this guy speak. I'm looking at him in in his eyes. I'm not saying any of this. I'm just looking at him and he's going on about how he only has $2. Nobody cares. He needs $60 for his children. I'm not really listening completely to what he's saying. I'm looking at him in his eyes and there's something telling me that this guy is, is frustrated, not with me, but with life. And then he says, you know what? It doesn't even matter. I'm going to be okay in Jesus' name. He says it just like that. And when he said that, something clicked in me. And then the sermon that I had all prepared and tried to figure out, well, how am I going to end this sermon? It came alive to me because I realized that I became not Peter and John in this story, but I became like the people in the crowd. I only want to see fireworks happen. But the normal things like homeless people begging in downtown Richmond really doesn't impress me. Have I become so callous to not see people as people, but merely impediments to whatever's going on in my day? And I'll be honest, it was a hard week. Everything going on with issues around race, again, with police brutality, things in my personal life. It's a lot to carry, as, as anybody has their own stuff to carry. But if we're so concerned with the stuff we carry and don't think about our fellow brothers and sisters, then maybe God is dead. Maybe there is no hope. I don't believe that's the case, though. I believe amidst our own struggles and the horrors of society, depression, anxiety, addiction, whatever it is that I struggle with or you might be struggling with, if we could just find time to give love, to give care, and to give time in the small things, then maybe, maybe, maybe we could display the love of God And the name of Jesus won't be just a name connected to religion, but rather the life-altering source of change which brings hope to us all.